Well, good morning. For those of you that are joining us online here on the coast, or for those of you turning in in Japan, or on the Gold Coast, or over in the States, be it Florida or San Diego, California, welcome. My name is Rob, and I am one of the pastors here at Wyoming Church of Christ. I wanted to start off by saying, on the one hand, I'm really saddened not being able to gather with you all this morning. Um, on the other hand, I'm grateful that we live in a day and age we do, having the technology, which we're still able to hear God's word taught, we're still able to be edified as believers in a situation like this. You know, generations before us would have not have had technology or really the privilege of being able to use this platform to be able to tap in to this avenue. So as unfortunate as this situation might be, I'm grateful that we can still be challenged and encouraged and equipped by God's word together. Obviously, this is no substitute for being together and gathering, uh, but I am eager for the day. I'm already eager for the day when we can come together as a church family, as God's people. I know many of you feel the same having conversations with you via email, text, um, over the phone, that you feel the same way I do. Long for the day when we can come and gather. And it'll be, I believe, really sweet when we're able to do that. And let's be praying that that day comes soon. I also want to make it clear that on behalf of the elders, um, our decision to temporarily suspend our public gatherings together, that was not a decision based on fear. That was not a decision based on a lack of faith either. Um, those, that was really a decision to be as wise and as loving as we possibly could be given the situation that we've been handed. A, a desire to promote the spiritual well-being and long-term health of this church as well as the witness that this church will be in the community. On that note, I just would want to encourage you to really lean in during this time, to actually carve out every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. It's still the Lord's day. God is still ruling and reigning over all things. And if you are his child, though it's, again, no substitute for actually gathering face-to-face -face with each other, but I just want to encourage you to make it a habit to tune in via live stream each Sunday morning at 9.30. I know for me, sometimes friends will pass on good sermons and I'll listen to them as I'm washing the dishes or whatever that might be. And I get through typically a quarter of it and then I don't finish. So I just want to encourage you to get in the habit of connecting online as well as because we can't connect in person, let's be praying and, and really thinking creatively how we can help those within our church community that are most vulnerable during this time. Looking for ways that we can not only pray for them, but be some physical support to them as well. Lastly, 
I want to remind you, friends, that while it may seem that so much has changed, and in some ways it has, I'm not talking to a room full of people, I'm talking to a, a phone staring at me in the face. In some ways, so much has changed, but the most important realities in the universe have not changed one bit. God is still ruling. God is still in the heavens, doing all that he pleases. Jesus Christ is Lord over all things, from the most complex economic factors to the smallest molecules within our body. Our God is good, and he is sovereign and reigns over all. So church, whatever circumstances that we're going to encounter in the days ahead, let us lean in on the Lord. Let us trust him and anchor ourselves in the truth of who he is. Now I'd like to actually look together at a portion of God's word. So if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And this is God's word. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they were, went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom in heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the market places and calling out to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
You know, when we first opened up the Gospel of Matthew together in chapter 3, there was this fellow, John the Baptist. We've seen him before, haven't we? He just sort of comes out of the woodwork, this hellfire and brimstone Baptist preacher who's dressed like a hippie from Byron Bay, right? And when he first arrives on the scene, I mean, he's calling the religious leaders out. He's got boldness. There is a tremendous crowd that's following him. You know, sometimes when we read about characters in the Bible, they can feel as if they're like Marvel superheroes. What I mean by that is, sure, there's, there's plenty of bad guys that you read in the Bible. We all know that. But when you look at some of the feats, some of the boldness, think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, think of some of the people in the Bible who had such confidence in God. You look at that and you see, wow, this is like, this is like something out of a movie. Sure, I might have met godly people in my life, but, but nothing like this. Well, John the Baptist can be like that, can he? Again, he, he's, this guy, he would have had tremendous influence. Even in the book of Acts, we see that he has still influence. When, when Paul shows up, there's still followers of this guy, John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, he's got boldness. He, I, I mean, he's, as you see the, the words that Jesus said, among those born of women, he's the greatest. I mean, that's pretty comprehensive. That would be like the human race, really, at that time. And so, this man, John the Baptist, as bold as he was, it's interesting when you look at this text, though, he is a bit perplexed. Have you noticed that? Are, are you the Christ? Or should we expect someone else? So what I want to do this morning, friends, is I want us to look at this text and sort of, as it were, look at this perplexed prophet, see why he's struggling, and then I want us to observe what Jesus says about this prophet, and finally, I want us to see what the crowds are saying about both of these guys, Jesus and John the Baptist. So here's our outline. First, we're going to look at a perplexed prophet. Second, we are going to look at a prophet's pedigree. And lastly, yes, it's ending with a P, we are going to look at a pathetic response, that being from the crowd. So a prophet's, right, a perplexed prophet, a prophet's pedigree, and a pathetic response. That's where we're headed Let's look to the Lord quickly in a word of prayer and then we will dive into it. Gracious God, we thank you that you are indeed ruling and reigning over everything. This coronavirus did not catch you off guard. And we praise you for how in your kindness and in your providence, Lord, this is an opportunity for our church to grow and our relationship with you and with each other. We do pray, Lord, that as confusing and at points unnerving as this situation is, we pray for a miracle. We pray that we'd be stunned, shocked, that you would actually grow our church in, in trust in you during this time, as well as, Lord, that you would grow our numbers, that we would see many 
as they're tuning in online, come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We ask that you do that even this morning for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's interesting when we think about people in the Bible. Again, remember I said they're like Marvel superheroes. Yet at the same time, they are just real people. I mean, isn't John the Baptist a case in point? The fiery Baptist fundamentalist guy? He's a guy that had all the passion, had all the gusto. Like if you're gonna get, go, go to the, you know, if you're gonna go to the end, it'd be John the Baptist. Like that's the guy that you'd want next to you. And yet we see him here having a crisis of faith. Right, he's, he's just really, at the end of the day, he, he, he's just a human. As godly as he might be, he's wondering what on earth is going on. So much so that he begins to second guess if Jesus really is the Messiah. Can you hear that in his tone? Are, are you the one to come? Are, is it really you? Or, or should we expect someone else? I mean, Jesus, did, did we get the correct memo here? Or, or, am I off base? It's interesting, though, when you think back to chapter 3, when John the Baptist was first introduced. I mean, he's pointing to Jesus, saying he's greater than I. Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. What does John the Baptist do? Whoa, 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 whoa. This should be the other way around. You, you should be baptizing me. And yet here, he seems to have this massive crisis of faith and doubt. What gives? What happened between chapter three and now? Well, maybe it'd help if we actually go back to chapter three and see his perception of who the Messiah is. So, so turn with me back in your Bibles to Matthew three, because a lot of this has to do with John's expectation of who the Messiah is and what he'd be doing. L- look at Matthew chapter three. Pick up in verse seven. Again, when I say the guy is fiery and bold, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about here. In chapter three, verse seven, for, this is John, for when he saw many of the Pharisees, this is the religious elites of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, that is like quintessential hellfire and brimstone Baptist preacher, if there ever was one, right? I mean, look what he says. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming... After me is not is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into barn. Um, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John's message is, is, is not like the Sermon on the Mount, right? Turn the other cheek. There's none of that with John. It's judgment. His emphasis was on the fact that when Messiah comes, we're going to end this thing. It's over. He's going to come. He's going to judge self-righteousness and wickedness. He's going to come. When the Messiah comes, he's going to set up his kingdom and he is going 
to establish it and there will be justice for the oppressed, namely the nation of Israel, right? And there will be judgment for those who are opposed, that being the Romans, which for the most part sort of resonates. It connects with the mindset of an Old Testament prophet. Now, picture yourself for a moment. Just imagine, put yourself in John's shoes, okay, or his thongs. For those of you that are turning in the U.S., that means sandals. Put yourself in John's thongs for a moment. He's been waiting for the Messiah to come. He knows what his job is. It's to prepare the way for Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, it's on. He baptizes him. He anoints him, as it were, sets him up for his ministry as the Messiah. But shortly after this, what happens? John gets thrown in prison. And you can imagine if you're him, you know, well, you know, the end is near because that's what I've been preaching. And that's okay, God's gonna come. He's gonna rescue me. It's all gonna work out. John would have known the passage from Isaiah, which says this, he will proclaim release to the captives. But as you're waiting and waiting and waiting some more, your rescue doesn't come. Your release doesn't happen. You're rotting in a cell. You've been taken off the scene. In fact, you do hear a report about what Jesus is saying is doing and doing because you've sent your disciples out. And guess what he's doing? Fire and judgment? Not really. What is he doing? He's healing the servant of a Roman centurion. Remember, they were the arch enemies? The people that are supposed to be judged? Wait, healing a Roman centurion's servant? You're joking. And he's saying things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they own health. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm confused. And he's saying, turn the other cheek. You're kidding. Where's the fire? Where's, where's the judgment? You can almost picture if you're John the Baptist and you're in this prison cell, your disciples coming back to you and reporting these things and the disciples are like, who does this guy think he is? One commentator really captures this nicely. He says this, what was Jesus doing? Puzzling things from John's viewpoint, preaching, healing, and driving out demons. And what is his message of the kingdom? Beatitudes? Parables of the gracious rule of God, prospects of feasting in the kingdom of God? Where was the thunder of judgment? Where was the rebuke of the wicked? Why this use of power over demons but not over evil men? Why did Jesus consort with them in their feasting? Why did he allow the prophet of God's righteous wrath against sin to rot in Herod's cell without a word of protest? Could this possibly be the Messiah? You see, friends, clearly, for John, Jesus is not turning out to be the kind of Messiah that he anticipated. It's not the type, it's not the kind that he was thinking of. So naturally, he's perplexed by all this, which is why he sends his disciples for clarification. If you turn back to chapter 11, look what they ask. We've already been talking about this, but look at... 
chapter 11, verse three, he says, and he said to him, are you the one to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. Well, they've already heard and seen what Jesus has done, right? And that's why they're confused. That's why they're perplexed. But now the Lord helps them put it all into perspective. He, get, he gives them a framework, scooping up a handful of passages from the book of Isaiah. He pulls them all together, kind of like when you go into the lolly shop and you have a bag and you're able to pick different lollies and put them into the bag. They're all brought together, this gorgeous feast. And that's what Jesus actually does. Look what he says here in verse five. The blind receive their sight, all from Isaiah 35 and 61 others, right? The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. He brings all these prophecies together and then points back to what we have already seen him do and teach. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew for the last year and a half, and we've seen him do all of those things, have we not? So the answer to John's question, are you the one? Emphatically, yes. But I want you to catch the way he sort of throws it back into John's lap. Look at verse six. He says, and blessed, sounds like the Beatitudes, doesn't it? And blessed is the one who is not scandalized, offended by me. Flourishing is the one who is not scandalized by me. This gets at the answer of John the Baptist's question, doesn't it? He, he quotes the prophecies, he scoops them up like a bag of lollies, but this really gets at the nub of it. This really gets to the nub of John's question. He says, I, I, John, I want you to go back and I, and I want you to have a good think. Have a good think on exactly what God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and you'll see and you'll realize that I'm doing precisely what he predicted and you're blessed, you will flourish if you receive that. When I was thinking about this text this week and praying and thinking about you guys, you know, this event of John struggling, this perplexed prophet, you know, if there's someone even of that stature, when Jesus says he's the greatest born of women, right? This guy's struggling with doubt and with disappointment. And I couldn't help but think of many of us who might be living in that space right now or, or will be in the weeks ahead. Uh, this pandemic has been unexpected and, certain, and really caused a lot of uncertainty for many of us. Look, whether you feel that the precautions are overdone or not, it's still undeniable that this has had a huge impact economically it will, in the months and years ahead, it will have a massive, it's already have a massive impact socially, you know, social distancing, etc. And no doubt, it will definitely cause your faith in God to really be stretched. It, it will definitely 
cause you to like John the Baptist, your faith in God's goodness and his control, friend, is going to be tested. Remember, John is in prison. His job had been to prepare the way for the Lord, yet in God's providence, mysterious as it was, he was taken off the scene. And you can imagine how disappointed he would have been. He'd been waiting for the Messiah, right? He, to come in and clean house. He was tired of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing to his people. And so he, he couldn't wait for the Messiah to set them straight. But John didn't see that happening. He, he didn't see the Romans being kicked out of Judea either. Things just aren't what he really anticipated, expected, envisioned. He's disappointed because of it. His hopes are crushed. And, and if you're in that place now, friend, where your circumstances are dark and your hopes are crushed, it's not surprising that you would struggle with a bit of doubt. But friend, you need to know that in your weakness and in your doubt, you have a strong, mighty Savior who is sovereign over it all. He will never let you go. Friends, rest in that truth. Don't be scandalized by that. Rest in that truth. Don't let that truth be a stumbling block. And I'd encourage you, look, if John the Baptist had struggles, certainly any of us are just as susceptible. And that's a time, friends, when we need to be leaning in and praying for each other as a church. And let's be honest about our struggles. Let's message each other, email, Facebook message, whatever you want to do, call. Shout from a distance if you can't, you know, if you have to have social distancing, whatever that might be. But let's be thinking, okay, well, because you know, I, I was thinking about this when I was studying it yesterday. Some of you might, depending on your context of life, if this pandemic from the coronavirus hasn't directly affected you heaps, it's easy for you to feel like, I don't know what's wrong with these people. Really, I don't know what's wrong with them. But that's easy because you're not really affected by it. Let's just say, though, that but God's been gracious to you, and that is the case. Let's say that you're not affected by it. You should praise God for that. But is that all? Is that all you're supposed to do and say, well, you know what? Hey, the world can go to hell in a handbasket. I'm all good. Now think about it. We're called to love, to pray for one another. Think of all the one another passages in Scripture. Again, we can't do a lot of face-to-face -face together, but we should be taking these opportunities, friends, even if, again, in God's kindness, you're not directly affected by this like some others. What about other people in this church? Some people in this church are, have or will lose their jobs. This is a massive thing. And so it's, it would be, I think, lopsided of us if it doesn't directly affect us not to just be looking beyond ourselves and to say, how can I reach out and really be praying, helping, physically supporting this person during this time? So that's a perplexed prophet. Now, again, I think it's easy for us to sit on the sidelines and sort of lob our stones, as it were, or throw John the Baptist under the bus. What's wrong with you, John? It's, it's funny, even in church history, people looked at even some modern commentators today, they look at John the Baptist and his sort of 
his predicament and they say, well, he's not really vacillating here because they, they, they have the struggle with this idea of, of someone this, of this stature who would, I think, just be a human, really. Um, but we can be like that as well, I think. We can say, well, clearly John the Baptist isn't, you know, he's, either he's not struggling or we can begin to say, well, if he is, I wouldn't have been. I, I think we gotta be careful not to throw John the Baptist under the bus because look what Jesus says about him in verse seven. Matthew chapter 11, verse seven. So after the disciples leave, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. It's interesting. John had been often been bearing witness, borne witness to who Jesus is, and now Jesus turns and bears witness to who John is. Did you see that? And what he says about John at first glance almost kind of seems like a backhanded compliment, especially in verse 11. Do you see that? Truly I say to you, among those born of women, that's pretty comprehensive, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Wow, what a compliment. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. <laughs> so let, let's, let's unpack some of the things he says here. Notice what he says. Um, he says, you didn't go out in the desert to see a, a, a reed. What does that mean? Shaken by the wind? Well, a, a reed was uh, cane grass that grew along the Jordan River. It still does. And it's very light. It blows about. Walk past it, whoosh, blows that way. Walk past it the other way, etc. And Jesus is saying, John's not like that. He's not fickle. He's not blown about by the winds of public opinion, as it were. And, and what else about John the Baptist? Notice he's, he's, you didn't go out to see a reed shaken by the wind or a man wearing soft clothes. He's not some Instagram celebrity. No, no, this guy had rugged clothing and had a very forthright, straightforward message. And it also says that he's a prophet. This has been 400 years since they've had a prophet. So that's massive to say, and he's a prophet, and he's more than a prophet. But here comes in verse 11, this interesting, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You see why I feel, say it feels like a bit of a backhanded compliment? It, it, backhanded compliment, someone might say, oh, I didn't expect you to get the job. Congratulations. Or, wow, I didn't recognize you. You look beautiful. Those are backhanded compliments. That's, that's not what Jesus is doing here. He tells the people, as great as John is, right? Think about this. He's greater than Moses, than Joseph, than Abraham, all the big wigs of the Old Testament. He's greater than all those guys, but that's nothing compared to be those that are aligned with me, Jesus Christ. John was special Listen, John was special in that he was considered the greatest prophet in the Old Covenant. 
from, from Genesis to Malachi. Under the old covenant, every single prophet would say, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Where John the Baptist alone says the Messiah is here. There he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was great, but he lived and died before the completion of Jesus' work, his death and resurrection on the cross. He introduced the new age, but he didn't participate in it really much. You ever heard the expression, a man of his time? That guy is a man of his time. That's John the Baptist. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. He is a man of his time. Look here in verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Do you see that there? They all prophesied until John. They're, in other words, now that John is here, their pointing forward work is done. Those of us now in the new covenant, in this new age, our pointing backwards work now begins. Pointing back to what God has done in Jesus Christ. It might make a little bit more sense now thinking about, okay, Old Testament, New Testament, John's sort of in the middle. Let's pick up here. Verse 14. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You ever run across a passage like that in the Bible and you're like, what on earth? Wait, is he John the Baptist or is he Elijah? Who is this person? And yeah, I've got ears. What are you trying to say? I run across patches and I, I thought, how can I explain this? Well, picture it this way. Let's pretend that you went to a Broadway show, uh, when you could, I guess, or to go here in Wyoming to the Laycock Theater. And the, the, right, the, the show that you see, it's called The Bible. And for the first half, you're watching the Old Testament. Blood, guts, prophecies, all kinds of crazy things. And right before the intermission, there's a break between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's this bloke that comes up on the stage dressed like some hippie from Byron Bay. And he goes, the days of the Lord will come and this is how you'll know it. Ooh, it's very dramatic. The lights are dimming. And he goes, I'm coming back and my name is Elijah. Ooh, the lights dim. Kind of look to the person next to you go, that was interesting. Then the person gets up and says, all right, folks, be back here in 15 minutes. We're going to finish the rest of our show. Go get a coffee. So you do, and you come back. And when you sit down, you kind of go, oh, I'm really interested how the New Testament's going to begin. Well, a different bloke comes up on the stage, but he's wearing the exact same hippie gear that that guy Elijah was wearing. And he goes, the days of the Lord are here, and you go, I think I get it. You see, in our English Bibles... That is how the Old Testament ends. The very la- can, I, can I read for you the very last words of the Old Testament? Think about the guy in, at the theater, right? But listen to what it says in Malachi 4, 5 through 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. 
Do you hear that language? And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. The end, the lights go out. So the Old Testament ends with a statement about the coming of Elijah. The New Testament begins with the ministry of this man who like resembles Elijah. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus is getting at. John was the pivotal figure in the coming age of salvation history. And you know, John lived in a day not much different than ours, friends. A day where families were struggling, a day where hopes were dimmed. And friend, we, like John, want to point people to the Messiah. Friend, you have, if you're a Christian, you have the good news, the gospel to share with people. Think of all the privileges of knowing Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear, ultimately, disease, death, or any economic recession. We are confident and secure eternally because of what Jesus has done. Are you there this morning? Can you honestly say that if you were to die today, because death becomes real now, doesn't it, friend? People are dying of this coronavirus quite often. If you were to die today and stand before God and the Lord were to say, why should I let you into heaven? How would you answer that question? Did you have the confidence that's anchored in the gospel of Jesus? And if not, friend, I, I plead with you that you wouldn't rest, that you wouldn't let your head hit the pillow tonight until you are reconciled to this God. The Bible says that you've been created in God's image, but that you by choice and by nature have sinned against this God. Not that you've had a bad day. Know that you constantly from day one, the day that you were born, have rebelled against this holy, perfect, awesome God who is just. And that God, if he is just, will punish sin. So the only hope of heaven that you have, friend, is that someone innocent would take the penalty on your behalf. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ looking to him alone and faith alone, that by God's grace alone you can be saved. I pray that you do that today. Not everyone was excited about Jesus and John though, were they? I mean, doesn't Jesus say, if you look in the next verse, he says, this, what can I compare this generation? You see that there? He says, and what shall I compare this generation? This generation is going to be repeated, that phrase, this generation, in the weeks ahead. And it's actually given in a negative way. It's like me saying this. Oh, that guy. Oh, that girl. You hear my tone? Do you hear that there's a level of condemnation, of judgment, of, of disappointment? Jesus says, now what should I compare this generation? 
It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard. Interesting. They do respond. Do you notice that there? They do respond to who John is and who Jesus is, but their response is a pathetic response. Children would play music often and their dads might dance in ancient Israel. Even children today sometimes pretend, play, you know, marriage, wedding day, whatever it might be. And it, Jesus looks at the generation, he says, you're like children. You, you say that we've, we've done this for you and you didn't do this. Right, we, we played, and then sometimes um, at funerals, there'd be a dirge that would be played. These kinds, these kids, as it were, piped for John. But the guy was so somber and so ascetic that he just couldn't be bothered, is what they're saying. We played the pipe, and you didn't boogie down. You're a party pooper. And Jesus, well... You know, he's so somber, right? Or he's, sorry, he's not, he's not so somber. That's John. Jesus is not so somber. Uh, the guy, does he ever, is he ever serious? You see, it's one of those things where no matter how you slice it, their, their point of view of Jesus and John and the kingdom ushering in of God's kingdom, it's no matter how you slice it, they're, eh, we're gonna dismiss these guys. One, we're gonna dismiss based on excessive enthusiasm. The other we're going to dismiss based on unnatural asceticism. Those who have a heart to criticize, that's their point of view. But, but notice, notice this little tailpiece in, you see it? Yet, very last verse of 19, very last part, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. It's interesting you remember going back to the perplexed prophet that he was concerned about the deeds of the Messiah? And then Jesus says, let me tell you about the deeds that I'm doing. And then the people say, well, both these guys are bad. And then there's that little tailpiece that Matthew adds and it says, yet wisdom, true wisdom, is found by deeds. Those that, how you're responding to this message of Jesus. As I said earlier, friend, my prayer for you is that you respond to Jesus. I hope that in God's providence, this coronavirus has perhaps awakened you maybe for the first time about your own mortality, about life and death. Even if you survive this coronavirus the next few years or decades, hopefully there's a vaccine for it soon. All of us are going to die, and all of us are going to face God. By not, in your mind, not responding to Jesus, meaning, well, I'm not really denying him, I'm just not really on board with everything Jesus is saying and sort of his claims of who he is, that's rejecting him. That's having a response, even if it's not hostile, that's still rejecting. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. 
It's one or the other, friend. Where are you today? How are you responding to Jesus? How is your response to this message? I just want to encourage you as we close. It's easy sometimes, I know I do this, whenever I watch a sermon online, the time that the pastor starts praying is when I go, yeah, X. All right, back to my morning tea, (laughs) whatever I was doing. Because of this unique scenario that we're in, friends, prior to you just closing your laptop or whatever device you're watching this on, I'd encourage you, post up something that has struck you on our Facebook page. What's something that you've been challenged by? Or take a minute to read through this text again. Pray about something that you for the Lord has really spoke to you this morning. Text a friend that's a part of our church about this. Don't just, you know, close the device or whatever, but really meditate on the truths that have been taught today. God bless you. I look forward to our next time here at 9.30 a.m. connecting with you at Wyoming Church of Christ. Let's pray as, as we close. Lord, we again thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us. I pray that none would be able to squeak away from this sermon, Lord and just kind of try to go back to their daily lives. Uh, As tragic as this event is, and we do pray for your mercy that there would be a vaccine soon. We pray that you would comfort those who are struggling. But Lord, I pray for all the rest of us who maybe aren't struggling to the degree that others are in Italy or different parts of China. Would you remind us of our own mortality? Lord, we pray that those of us that know you, we'd be anchored, that we'd be confirmed in our trust in you. But Lord, for those that have never turned from their sin, who have never embraced you as Lord and Savior, would you grant them faith even today, we ask, no matter where they're watching this from. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friends. Look forward to you the next time we can connect via online.